time, um, unless you're a procrastinator, and then you can do it on Tuesday night before you come the next night. Uh, but you should have plenty of time. But be sure you're here uh, for those uh, lessons from Steve, especially. And I'm glad you're here tonight. And it's uh, we're at week five, uh, looking here at uh, what will our lives be like in heaven. And only one more uh, time. But let me read the headings, uh, beginning at page 99, to refresh your memory of where we are. Um, should we expect to maintain our own identities? What will our bodies be like? What will a typical day be like? What will our relationships be like? And what will we experience together? So that's what we want to uh, unpack this uh, evening as we look at these five um, uh, lessons, if you will, together. And I remind you, as I do all the time, this is a many-way conversation. So uh, please jump in. But I'll have to say, this is a question that I've uh, gotten before. Uh, will we know one another in heaven? That is concerning our identity uh, in heaven. And my standard response has been, well, we won't be any dumber then than we are now. And we know each other now. And, uh, and I felt like I, I felt really good because, you know what, I'm, I was in good company because I saw there was a quote. I don't remember which, which page it was on, but one of the great uh, church, uh, you know, people from days gone by said pretty much the same thing. So I said, hey. I'm in good company in that answer. But in all reality, that is something that people wonder about. Will we know each other? Uh, and I think one of the confusing things is, is, is people think that we are just some kind of, um, I don't know, mystical yeah. blob or ethereal something, or we're just floating around. Uh, there's a lack of understanding about us getting uh, our glorified bodies and and, and those sorts of things. But we find the scriptures pretty clear uh, on this. But I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, he talks about on page 99, a man wrote to him expressing his fear of losing his identity in heaven. He was afraid that we'd all be alike, that he and his treasured friends would lose their distinguishing traits and eccentric. Uh, boy, that's a tough one. They're eccentric. Help me with that one. See, y'all, y'all stumble over it too. Y'all make me feel better. Thank you. What makes us us? Uh, that we're eccentric. The things that uh, um, describe us that make them special. But he didn't need to worry. We can all be like Jesus in character, yet be very different in personality. Now, look at the next paragraph. Individual identity is an essential aspect of personhood. God is the creator of individual identities and personalities. He makes no two snowflakes, much less two people alike. Not even identical twins are identical. And notice the last sentence on page 99. Individuality preceded sin and the curse. Individuality was God's plan from the beginning. When God created Adam, he created Adam. And when it was time to create someone that was going to be a helper and a helpmeet and one to fulfill Adam... He created Eve. Adam and Eve were individuals. They were much different, uh, yet they complemented one another. And the amazing thing about it is that God created us with all sorts of different personalities, our individualities, that E word that we can't seem to get uh, out tonight. Uh, that's all what makes us us. And we mentioned on Sunday in Sunday school, remember the very opening illustration was if everybody was like me and they like what I like and they voted like I voted and they, they, it, world, the world would be perfect. But we all agreed it wouldn't be perfect because really uh, variety is the spice of life. And if we all were exactly the same, life would be really, really boring, uh, to say the least. 
And so God has created our individual uh, personalities and so forth. So we let's go across the page there, 100. And uh, the first passage we got in was Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 4 through 7 and 10. And it says, um, who do heaven's inhabitants rejoice over coming to God? The nameless multitudes or each and every person? Which one did you check? Each and every person. Uh, there's rejoicing in heaven over one soul that repents. Uh, we also find a good illustration of the fact that we will know one another in heaven when you look at Christ's transfiguration. Who appeared with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. And the disciples that were there recognized them as distinct individuals. They knew it was Jesus. They knew it was Moses. They knew it was Elijah. And the interesting thing, and I think it pointed out later somewhere in this, is the fact that the disciples would have never met Elijah, nor would they have met Moses. And they didn't study about on the Internet. And they probably didn't have a picture of them. Uh, didn't know anything about it, but they knew who they were. And he brings out somewhere in here, if I'm not mistaken, and you help me if I'm wrong, about the fact that perhaps we'll know one another by our individual traits and characteristics. And we won't have to learn. In other words, we won't have to wear those hello, my name is those little badges in heaven. We'll know who uh, each other uh, will know each other. And so we can know that's Moses. That's Elijah. Of course, we'll know who Jesus is. When we sit at a banquet, it says to eat with Abraham and Isaac and others. We'll be sitting with particular individuals. Matthew chapter eight, verse 11. And then they ask you to jot down in the margin several reasons why you believe that you'll retain your individuality in heaven. So first of all, we should ask, do you believe you'll remain, you'll, you'll retain your individuality in heaven? Do you believe that you'll be you in heaven? This means yes. This means no. So the majority in here, from what I'm saying, you believe that you'll be you in heaven. Well, if you're not you, who are you going to be? Right. And he brought out some very interesting things here that if it's not really us in heaven, then why were we redeemed? And how does this work? I mean, Christ died for us. Now, the good news is it won't be the sinful us. It'll be a. Perfect version of us. And so I guess then that will retain many of the things that uh, characterize us. Um, You were asked to list on page 101, three distinct characteristics that make you who you are. Anybody want to share one or two or what? Who makes you who you are? We want to ask everybody else to talk about who makes you who you are. But in your own mind, who makes you who you are? That's a weird sentence, isn't it? Anybody? All right, well, let's back up to the question previous. What do you think is the strongest reason to believe that you will retain your individuality in heaven? What's the strongest reason? If somebody were to say to you, why do you think you're going to be you and you're going to retain those things in heaven? What's the strongest proof or strongest argument you can give? Each one of us will be accountable. Okay, each one of us be accountable, right? We have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ if we're a believer. Yeah. And it's us standing there. It's not somebody else. Good. Any other thought? Well, and I think, you know, Jesus died to save me from my sins so that I could live in heaven with him. So that would have been wasted if it's going to be somebody else. Yeah, because Jesus, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. They receive somebody else in your place, right? (laughs) Is that what it says? I receive you. That where I am, there you may be also. 
So yeah, exactly. He redeemed you. Any other thoughts on that question? I put, I think, Jesus himself is one of the greatest proofs. Because Jesus dies on the cross, he's buried, then he's resurrected. He didn't become somebody else. He was Jesus. And he was glorified. And he still had his, his body, the marks. You know, and he'll have those. We'll see those as well in his body. But he's still Jesus. And they didn't have to. Uh, and it, it talks about later on, you know, well, uh, did they know him? Yes, they knew him. And even when Mary didn't know him at first, when he said her name and he looked at Rabboni, Master, it's Jesus. I put a hallelujah and, and, and uh, highlighted um, down right before it says we'll become angel. Will we become angels in 101? That uh, paragraph that says we have become sinful versions. Y'all see that one in 101? We've become sinful versions of what God intended. Our deceitfulness, laziness, lust, deafness, disability and disease is not the real us. They are temporary perversions that will be eliminated. They're the cancer that the great physician will surgically remove. His redemptive work means never again will they return. Hallelujah. This is not it. You can say the same about yourself, believer. We are now sinful versions of what God intends for us to be. Redeemed, righteous in Christ, going to heaven. But practically speaking, we still have a lot of sin and faults and things we deal with, but not forever. We're going to be us, but it improved us. Well, that next question is one I've spoken to you before about, and this is one that's really misunderstood. Will we become angels? A lot of people, whether they believe it or not, they say things like, my loved one is an angel. Or God needed an angel, so he called my loved one home. Or my little baby died, so now my little baby's an angel. Or my mother and father, or grandma and grandpa, or whoever, God needed another angel, and so now they're angels. Does the Bible teach that we will become angels? No. We do not become angels. Angels are created beings. Angels are angels and humans are humans. Um, Angels, it says here on page 102, are beings with their own histories and memories, distinct identities reflected in the fact they have personal names, such as Michael and Gabriel. You have the fallen angels, Lucifer and those who uh, fell with him. Uh, under God's direction, they serve us on earth. Um, they, they, they serve the Lord. We're going to do a whole study on angels and demons and flying creatures. But the point we're getting at here is we do not become angels. We don't become angels. Uh, Christ died for us, shed his precious blood for us, uh, redeemed us, bought us. And the scripture is clear that we do not become angelic beings. Now, the difficulty comes, beloved, when people express that, they usually express it in the midst of grief, in the midst of sorrow, when their loved one has just died. And so I'll be honest with you, that's not the time I decide I'm going to correct their theology. Say, so, well, actually, you're wrong. Your, your loved one's not an angel. Uh, probably not. Uh, somewhere, somewhere down the line, maybe you can have that conversation and, and maybe help them to understand that, you know, they're not angels. They're better off than angels. They've been bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I find the fallen angels, I don't, I don't see any hope of redemption for them. I don't read of any hope of redemption. It says that hell, the lake of fire, was made for the, uh, the devil and his cohorts, his, his fallen creatures. But the angels do serve us. And uh, there's a lot in here about that, but I'm not going to get into that because we're going to save that for another study. 
In heaven, will we be called by our present names? Will I be Rodney? Will he be Freddie? Will she be Judy? Will she be Ruth Ann? Will she be Phyllis? Are we going to use our current names? Will they, will they use our first names, our middle names, a lady's maiden names, perhaps your other name? What name will we go by in heaven? Sister. Sister and brother? <laughs> first name? I don't even go by my first name here. I go by my middle name. Well, whatever we go by. Yeah. I do go by my first name in some instances. You know, they call me. Um, what did it say in here as you studied it? Are we going to have our present name? It's actually yes. We're going to have our old name and it appears and our new name. Because we read about the earthly names that were given by people in the Bible. We read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons of Israel and the apostles. Um, so we see those earthly names. But it also says, as you mentioned, and as you mentioned, Isaiah 62, 65, Revelation 2 and 3, talk about we'll receive new names. And so it can be the fact that we'll have multiple names, just like we have Jacob was also known as Israel. And Cephas was also Peter. And Saul was also Paul. And so I think, you know, that in heaven we'll have possibly both names. So maybe, you know, I'll be Rod and I'll have another name and you'll have another name as well. We're going to get a new name. And so really the good news is, is we're in heaven and we'll know what name to call each other. But it appears from Scripture that we'll have two names, if you will, at least. We'll have our earthly name we'll be known by and then we'll have a new name. And then it says, well, will we really be perfect? In heaven, we'll be perfectly human. Adam and Eve were perfectly human uh, until they bent themselves in the sinners. Um, to what aspect of being totally free from sin's curse? This is the middle of page 103. To what aspect of being totally free from sin's curse do you most look forward to? When you think about perfection and freedom from sin, what are you looking forward to the most? Peace, peacefulness, no worries, no guilt, no tears, no disease, no struggles, no magnifying glasses, no eyeglasses, no contact lenses, no hearing aids, no wigs, no other stuff that I'll stop there. Shoppers. Uh, yeah. It says in the next paragraph under what? We've always carried sin's baggage. We've always carried sin's baggage. What a relief it will be not to have to guard our eyes and our minds. We'll not have to defend against pride and lust because there'll be none. In heaven, we won't just be better than we are now. We'll be better than Adam and Eve were before they fell. That's an interesting thought. We'll be a redeemed humanity with knowledge of God, including his grace far exceeding theirs. And heaven will be perfectly human, but will still be finite. And he talks about the idea there that um, um, we'll communicate perfectly so we'll never be at a loss for words. Randy seems to think that sometimes it might be at a loss for words. Uh, that we'll grasp just to describe how glorious things are. I don't know, but I know one thing. We're going to be perfect and we're going to be whole uh, and we're going to be perfectly human. And it says on page 104, I'm trying my best not to get through all five days. Last paragraph on day one. Our greatest deliverance in heaven will be from 
ourselves. Who do you have the most trouble with in life? Oh, you're, well, besides your son, we are recording this anyway. Delete that. But joking aside, who do we struggle with the most? Ourselves, don't we? We struggle with ourselves the most. And we want to say, what's well, this person or that person or, you know, it's the, it's the deacons or it's the pastor or it's my Sunday school class or it's my husband or it's my wife or it's my kids or whoever. But in reality, we struggle with ourselves. We struggle. We, we, we have issues. Our own biggest enemy. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Who was it? The old comic trip? Was it, was it uh, Pogo? We have seen the enemy and it's us or something. Is that how you said it? Yeah. Um, and that's the, so true, isn't it? But what will our bodies be like? Day two. Will our resurrection bodies have five senses? What are the five senses? We'll do a quick review. Smell, hearing, taste, smell, hearing, taste, taste, touch. Taste. I lost the count. Yeah. <laughs> taste, seeing, taste, seeing, hearing, touch. touch. Smell. Smell. Smelling. Smelling. What's your favorite one? Sight. Taste. <laughs> Will our resurrection bodies have all five? More than likely, we think they will. You were asking on 105, do your senses currently suffer any of the following? Eyes that require correction. Sense of smell less than perfect, less acute taste, hearing loss, touch less sensitive. Um, how have these limitations affected you? you know, we've been praying just tonight for Miss Lou with her eyesight and, and others here. You have issues and I have issues because we're in a fallen state and we're decaying and we're dying. And every day we're closer to death. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Get that encouraging word. You're closer to death tonight than you were when you got here right now. You're closer to death than you were when you first arrived. If we're going to have these senses, and it seems like we are, how do you imagine food will taste? So there you go. How will food taste or flower smell with senses sharper than you've ever experienced? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be perfect. Absolutely perfect. It's like after you had cataract surgery, you didn't know why it was so white. Yeah. When you look at the next day. Yeah. We'll see the new earth, feel it, smell it, taste its fruits, hear its sounds, not figuratively, but literally. We know this because we're promised resurrection bodies like Christ. So here's how we know. He saw, he heard, he felt, he cooked, and he ate. Heaven's delights will stretch our glorified senses to their limits. Uh, David prayed in Psalm 139, 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's what we can say now. You mentioned it earlier about a testimony about your little grandson, about the fact that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But imagine, I mean, this is a, a broken version. Uh, this is 1.0. Imagine we get to the 2.0 perfected version, if you will. I'm not going to ask you to describe your favorite meal because I don't want to make anybody hungry <clears throat> there at the bottom. But I'm, I'm, you may have enjoyed doing that. But will we experience hunger and will we digest food? Now, there's an interesting question you don't get every day, right? Put another way, will you have to go to the bathroom in heaven? Isn't that a blessing? That's a blessing, isn't it? It is a blessing. Well, first of all, will we get hungry? What's Revelation 7.16 say? Let's look up Revelation 7.16. 
We'll hunger and thirst no more. So will we ever get hungry in heaven? No. Will we need to drink anything in heaven? Will we need to eat in heaven? Well, we know we're going to, right? Because marriage, supper, the lamb and things. I, I think if you remember when you're looking at that, um, we're not going to know hunger as of lack or thirst as of not being able to quench the thirst. I thought about all these people that, you know, die from hunger. And yeah, there'll be none of that. But God has given us richly things to enjoy. Um, when they were in the Garden of Eden in the perfect environment, do you think Adam and Eve got hungry? Is hunger a God-given? You have to eat. Adam and Eve had to eat. But there was plenty. There was no lack. That's what I was going to say. There's plenty of Yeah, there's plenty of There's no lack. In fact, it was food that made them fall. You know? She saw the fruit that it was good to... Uh, it was pleasant to the eyes. It looked good to eat. It was make one wise. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. The pride of life. He says, he mentions 1 Corinthians 6, 13, you say food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. This is true, though somebody, or excuse me, someday God will do away with both of them. Some people think God was saying here that we don't, we won't eat and won't have stomachs or digestive systems. But in the context, on the top of page 107, Paul was simply saying that the old body will die. So we shouldn't let the desires of the body control us. And some people argue that we won't eat or drink in heaven because they're against the thought of digestion and elimination. Well, I'll just ask the question, Mike, since it's in here. Do you think we'll have to go to the bathroom in heaven? If we eat. <laughs> Could God rewire our systems to where we absorb everything that we eat and we don't have to have uh, elimination or digestion? Absolutely. He could. he could. What about the Garden of Eden? Did Adam and Eve... Have to use the restroom. Was there a special tree over there somewhere <clears throat> where they had to go and and uh, use? I think so. So the whole point is this. We can't base our knowledge on heaven about things that we're scared about. If that is the, the case, then that's the case. And it'll still be perfect and still be good. That would be the least of my worries. That'd be the least of your worries. Well, apparently people are worried about it because they've asked here and he's written about it. Because it is a a, a thought. Well, here's another thing. Will there be male and female in heaven? I think there will. We're male and female here. We'll have resurrected bodies. But in the old books, a lot of the old books on heaven, they said, no. Did you look under the middle of page 107? One book about heaven claims there'll be no male and female human beings. We shall all be children of God and sex will be no part of our nature. The same book says men will no longer be men, nor will women be women. So I guess that, what is that, Bruce Jenner? Is that what that means? You know, sometimes Are you confused? Mm-hmm. Are we confused about this? Will there be male and female? Well, if you wonder where I'm at on this, yes, I believe there'll be male and female in heaven. Because we are that now. Uh, so I don't think we're going to be genderless beings. Some people try to say, well, you know, that the, you know, the heaven, you know, the angels or whatever. Well, uh, we don't believe there'll be sexual relations in, in heaven, uh, but there will be gender in heaven and we'll have a glorified, resurrected body. 
But it's interesting to see the old book said, no, there, there can't be. And they base it on Galatians 3.28, which really kind of takes it out of context. Because uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 20 has that idea um, with uh, equality of men and women in Christ. Uh, it's not the obliteration of sexuality. You don't, you don't lose your gender now when you get converted, do you? That'd be a hard sell, wouldn't it? Come get saved and lose your gender. <laughs> I mean, we don't do that now. So the issue here is salvation freely available regardless of gender, regardless of whether one is male or female. And in Christ, we, are, uh, we have equality in Christ. But we know that God has set down in his Bible that there are roles for men and women and so forth. And so we believe there will be gender. Was Jesus genderless after his resurrection? Of course not. Nobody mistook him for a woman. Nobody thought he was, um, you know, a, a genderless being. Is that that word? It's another one of those hard words, and I'm, I'm not doing hard words good tonight. There's a scripture that says we, we have to come as children. Perhaps we will be like children in the, in the gender part. I don't know. But we know that, I, at least I personally believe the Bible when you look at Jesus' life and Jesus' resurrection body, uh, he still has gender. Uh, will we wear clothes? Aren't you glad you came tonight? You got to find out if you go to the bathroom in heaven and wear clothes in heaven. We're going to wear clothes in heaven because Adam and Eve didn't wear clothes. Except in the Sunday school literature, they always wear a bush here. Or... <laughs> We're going to wear robes, right? We've seen it over and over again. They were in white robe, purity. And, uh, of course, that's foreign to us. Most of us don't wear robes, I don't think. Um, at least nobody here tonight is wearing robes. But in that day, and, of course, we'll know that um, we'll be perfectly um, comfortable in that dress. What will a typical day be like in heaven? Day three. Will we rest in heaven? Is that all we're going to do? This, that means we're going to lay on a cloud with our harp and go... Ding, 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 ding. We'll all throughout eternity. We'll have jobs, won't we? Yeah, there's an idea of active rest. Are there things that you do that are active and you're moving, yet they're refreshing? Mm-hmm. In fact, you were asked on top of page 110, what do you love to do under the category of active rest? I'm just curious in this group. What do you like to do with active rest? Working in the yard, it may be hard, but yesterday I found myself, when I went out, I had things on mine. But after a little while, I wasn't thinking about any of those. Yeah, Ruth Ann, same thing. Was the snake got a hold of her? She didn't think about anything. Yeah, working in the yard, working in the garden, active rest. Water, listen. Okay. Reading, Miss Lou. Watering flowers. Okay. Any other thoughts? Active rest. But to me, that's good for me. Yeah, it's restoring, it's refreshing. I I put down, what I love to do is I love to prayer walk. I mean, in other words, I love to walk and pray. That is tiring, but it's refreshing to me. Um, Will we sleep in heaven? Some of these we're just throwing out, not sure, but... Some people say we won't be sleepy because we have perfect bodies. But Jesus slept. Now, we don't see him sleeping in his perfect body, but he slept in his physical body. So it says sleep is one of life's greatest pleasures. It's part of the perfect plan. So 
I don't know. I guess we may. Will we work? Will we work in heaven? Yeah. What will be different about the work in heaven? Won't get tired. Won't worry. We won't have an irritable boss or friends. That's right. What do we find out when you read John four thirty four and John five seventeen? You read about the Father and Jesus. What did you learn about them? They're on the bottom page one ten. It was that one question. What do John 4.34 and 5.17 suggest about being like the Father and Jesus? They both worked. Work, we all hopefully know, is not the curse. Work was a gift, and work was given to Adam and Eve before the curse. The curse is work became harder. And thorns and thistles and snakes and all these things that attack us, right? Sweat of our brow. But work itself is a joy. Work itself is satisfaction. There is um, bringing glory to God in working. Uh, Revelation 2, 3 in the margin there. There will, there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. And so the kind of work we know is laborious and get, we get tired. We, we have struggles and strains and frustrations. But none of that will be the case in heaven. Have you ever have you ever done work that's been a true joy? Uh, I mean, you've had probably moments where you found the sweet spot and time just flew by and there was that joy of laboring. Imagine that forever. That's the kind of work we'll be doing. Day four. Page one twelve. Any thoughts so far? Day four, what will our relationships be like? Um, this is one of the sweetest parts, I think, here. He, he, he quotes Calvin. Although Calvin had many wonderful things to say, I think Calvin was off in this. To be in paradise and live with God is not to speak to each other and be heard by each other, but is only to enjoy God, to feel his goodwill, and to rest in him. And he said to Calvin's credit, he longed for the joy to be found in God. But there's no dichotomy between the joys of God relating to God and relating to God's children. In other words, it doesn't mean if you enjoy one of God's children's presence, you're taking away from your joy in the Lord. Because in reality, if you rejoice in one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, you're rejoicing ultimately in who? In God, who made them and who made you and gave you to one another. And so when it talks about the joy here, what did Paul say about reunion in heaven? He talks about in verse uh, on page 113 under the heading. What did Paul say about reunion in heaven? Paul told the Thessalonians will be reunited with believing family and friends in heaven. Here's what he says. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. We who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them. This is the rapture. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And you were asked, beloved, and I won't ask you to share unless you want to. But you were asked to write down. Some of the people you're longing to see in heaven. And, and, you, and not, not just Jesus here, because we're all really wanting to see Jesus, but people from your family. Someone you want to thank. And someone who helped lead you to know Christ. Did you have some names that went in those blanks? I did. And that's part of the longing for heaven. To be reunited with our loved ones. 
And think about as much as we loved our loved ones in their imperfect state. If they know Jesus and they knew Jesus and they're in heaven with him. Imagine we're going to see the perfected version of our loved ones and they're going to see the perfected version of us. Here's the quote. Puritan Richard Baxter. I know that Christ is all in all. I'm right underneath that those blanks. I know that Christ is all in all and that it is the presence of God that makes heaven to be heaven. But yet it much sweetens the thought of that place to me that there is there's such a multitude of my most dear and precious friends in Christ. But the question is, we'll recognize each other. And here's the fellow I was talking about. Here's the quote I was looking for. George MacDonald, he says, will you recognize friends in heaven? George MacDonald responded, shall we be greater fools in paradise than we are here? I'm in good company with George MacDonald there. You like mine better? Christ's disciples recognized him countless times after the resurrection. They recognized him on the shore as he cooked breakfast for them. John 21. They recognized him as he appeared to skeptical Thomas. They recognized him when he appeared to 500 people at once on the, when he was getting ready to ascend back into heaven. They're standing there gazing up into heaven. They knew it was Jesus who went up to heaven. The angel says, why stand you gazing this same Jesus whom you see go up in heaven will come again. Uh, we know that Mary eventually recognized him there at the garden tomb. Why do you think people struggle with this idea that we're going to know one another in heaven? <clears throat> Well, I think it goes back to the misunderstanding of what we're going to be like in heaven. We're not just some kind of lifeless blob or form floating around where we have a body. Will there be marriage, families and friendships in heaven? Not necessarily in the same sense we have here. We know we're part of the bride of Christ. We know there'll be friendships in heaven. I think we'll know our family in heaven. I don't think you're going to be, you know, forget that you were married to your, your spouse or whatever. Like I say, we're not going to be more dumb in heaven than we are now. And so those will be even sweeter relationships. They'll be a little bit different, but they'll be totally fulfilling because of Christ. Day five. <laughs> Three minutes. What will we experience together in heaven? Talk about listening to the stories of heaven. Who's on your list? Who do you want to talk to in heaven? Somebody from the Bible? Some story you want to hear more about? Somebody from church history? Somebody from American history? Who's on your list? The says are on page 118. Who's on your list? I want to hear all about Elijah when he was up on Mount Carmel. All right. I think that's one of the most fascinating stories. Elijah on Mount Carmel, okay. And how Joseph stayed Yes, one of my favorite Bible characters, Joseph. What were you thinking those couple years in prison? What were you really thinking during all that time? Yeah. What about Job? Job? Yeah, what was that like? That's a pretty bad day, wasn't it, Job? Well, and Moses and all that he went through. And Noah. Yeah. Yeah. Will we have time to talk to all these people? Oh, yeah. Got the rest back. I like Yeah. We have eternity. But here's a big question. 1 to 18. If our loved ones are in hell, won't that spoil heaven? We talked a little bit about this in a previous study. It got really deep, especially 
over on 119. But I'll just say again, summarizing that, what I said before, God will see to it that all sorrow is taken from our lives. And we know that all that God does is just and pure and right. And it was pretty interesting even here to read how Randy got pretty deep there on that last part of that paragraph there about, in a sense, none of our loved ones will be in hell, only some whom we once loved. Our love for our companions in heaven will be directly linked to God, the central object of our love. We will see him in them. We will not love those in hell because when we see Jesus as he is, we'll love only and will only want to love whoever and whatever pleases and glorifies and reflects him. And so I'm not going to get too deep into that. I'm just going to leave it that God will see to it that our sorrow is wiped away. I read something one time too, and it said that we would recognize people in heaven, but we wouldn't miss the ones that were not. Mm -hmm. In other words, you don't have a list where you're looking to say, you know, where where is Aunt Sally or whatever. Yeah. Well, last thing, will we, will we regain, 121, will we regain lost relational opportunities? This has the idea about those who've given up their lives, their families, their homes um, for Jesus. There was a wonderful testimony on 121. It says a young woman near the bottom, a young woman was visiting a missionary in Eastern Europe and asked her, isn't it hard being so far away from your grown children and missing important events in their lives. Sure, the missionary replied, but in heaven we'll have all the time together we want. Right now there's kingdom work that needs to be done. It says this woman knows where her true home is, and that life, there will be a real life and relationship among God's people, resuming ways even better than what we've known here. What does Jesus' words in Luke 6, 21-23 confirm about those statements above? Will we regain these lost, as we might think of them, lost opportunities? We're going to be rewarded, right? That's what it says. And don't you think that God's going to see to it that those who've left home and loved ones, those who've laid down their lives, those who've sacrificed, they're going to be rewarded? He says on page 122, second paragraph, heaven offers more than comfort. It offers compensation. He's going to reward those who faithfully uh, served him. Now, I'll be honest with you, beloved. We've got one week left. There's still a lot of answers we don't have. And there's still a lot of things we don't know. And in fact, now that we've studied so far, you're thinking about things you never even thought about before. Like, will you go to the bathroom in heaven? Or will you do this in heaven? Or will there be this in heaven? But the truth of the matter is, can we just be blunt for a moment? I ain't real worried about it. Pardon my grammar. (laughs) But I'm not real worried about it. Because I know that heaven's going to be exactly as God desires it to be. I'm going to be just like God wants me to be. And he's going to take care of all the rest. And there'll be perfect peace. I think you mentioned peacefulness. And I'm not going to be worried about up there. Well, you know, does this road make me look fat? Does this accentuate my best qualities? Because all will be perfect. The main thing is that you know that you're going to heaven. And the main thing is that we try to make sure other people are going to heaven. Because heaven is a wonderful place. And we want to go there. Any thoughts? We've only got a minute. For one more week. So hold on. Finish up. Labor on. Unless the Lord returns first.
Then we'll have to worry about doing the last chapter. And all of our questions will be answered. And we'll say, you know what? We got that right. Now that we didn't get quite right. I don't know if we'll know that or not. I think we'll be so captivated with Jesus, it won't matter. Next week, are we going to go over those 10 questions?